God is good all the time. You know, as we gather here today, I, I come with a great sense of expectation, partially because I've already done two of these services, and uh, God moved. We had something really special happen here, and, and I have every anticipation that's going to happen again. But I, I do feel compelled to pray, and I'd like to pray for a little boy by the name of Finn. He was here last week, and right now, got some real challenges. So why don't we just extend our hands and pray for this little boy. Dear God, thank you for Finn. Thank you for Katrina and Michael. We pray that you would do what only you can do. We pray for incredible peace. We pray, dear God, that your presence would be the most real thing with his family. And thank you, dear God. When we walk through the really tough times in life, we do not have to walk alone, but you walk with us every step of the way, and we'll praise you forever in Jesus' strong name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. I was asked this morning, they said, man, it seems like there's a lot of people at 8 o'clock church, and I said, you know, it's kind of interesting. 8 o'clock church is about the size now that 11 o'clock church was a year ago. 11 o'clock church, you all, are about the size that 9.30 was a year ago. And 9.30 is like we have Easter every single weekend. It is just absolutely remarkable what God is doing here. And I praise God for that. I had a book released by Invite Resources last year called That's Good News. I wrote the book to equip regular people to share their faith and to invite folks to church. I know it's intimidating. I just wanted to equip regular people. I also knew the American church has kind of taken it on the chin the past few years. Culture wars, a pandemic, denominational implosions. It's, it's been really tough. And, and I knew that at some point, churches would get that behind them. And we would need to get back to doing Jesus stuff. I mean, you think about it. Nobody's going to really want to invite someone to church. Hey, come to our church, and if you stay afterwards, we're having a big meeting about how to leave our denomination. Nobody wants any of that. They got all that at home. They don't want it here. I get it. But I wrote That's Good News because I knew that we would get beyond that. And I knew churches would get beyond that. And in the book, I ask a single question. Have we forgotten that the gospel is good news? Have we forgotten that the gospel is good news? Because it seemed to me that if we truly were convinced that the gospel was good news, we would share our faith more passionately. We would share our faith more joyfully. And we would share our faith more often. I mean, who doesn't want to receive good news? And who doesn't want to be the one that delivers good news? Last year, over 500 of you committed to invite one new person to church each week for 60 weeks. We have six weeks left in that initiative. Today, as you were coming in, we handed you an invite card. These cards are for our Easter run. These are all for Easter. So your other invite cards, put those aside for a moment and let's kind of focus on this Easter run. If you need more cards, you can get them at the Sync Center 
big idea is we're just going to hand these out. We're going to invite people to church. What are we going to have? First of all, as we get close to Easter, we're going to have our annual Easter egg family thing. I think they call it egg extravaganza or something along those lines. But we have about 2,000 people show up here for that. 2,000 people. And we get to share Jesus with folks. And we get to invite people to church. And every year, we have people become part of our church family who are initially reached through this massive Easter egg thing. And let's be honest. I mean, it's an Easter egg hunt. How hard could it be? We are on flat property and there's no cover. I mean, it's not the world's most difficult Easter egg hunt by any measure. But that is one thing we invite people to. So if you've got folks with little kids, folks with young grandkids, perfect. On Good Friday this year, we're doing something really cool. Uh, we've already got our permit. We are going to carry a huge cross down Frank Scott Parkway. And we're going to invite everybody to come and be a part of that. If you're able, we're even going to let you stick your shoulder underneath that cross and carry it part of the way. Then we're going to end up back here at the church. We have three huge crosses that will be erected out front by the parkway. And we're going to have an old-fashioned Jesus rally underneath the cross on Good Friday. So that is coming up. We're really excited about that. Then our Easter services, two on Saturday, and then our normal Sunday mornings. You say, why do you do them on Saturday? Well, first of all, because we barely can get everybody in on a normal Sunday morning. Easter makes that impossible. So for some people, because of their plans on Sunday, it just makes it easier to come and do Easter celebration on Saturday. All five services, absolutely identical in every way. And you don't have to worry about it because by the time we start our first service on Saturday night, it will already be Easter in Jerusalem. So we even have that covered. We're all good. Who should you invite? Everyone. Everyone. There was a study that was released a, a few years back. And I read the results and I thought, this can't be right. The study said that there are a lot of people who have never been invited to church even once. And I thought, I, I don't know. I, I, that didn't feel right. And then I got reading the study. It also found that there was a different group of people who don't go to church who get invited to church on a near constant basis. Guess what the study concluded? People who look churchish but don't go to church get invited to church all the time. But people who don't look like they would fit in to the observing eye don't get invited at all. So when we think about Easter, who should you invite? Everyone. Say it with me. Everyone. Absolutely everyone. But especially this Easter. Invite people who are most in need of a miracle. We're in Jerusalem. Third decade of the first century. Jesus of Nazareth has been crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended. Pentecost had come. The Holy Spirit rained down on the only 120 Christians in the world. Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, pours out into the street of Jerusalem. And 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Over the past six weeks, we have explored six characteristics 
of the early church that formed in response to that as they are depicted in Acts 2. Like the ministry of Jesus himself, the early church not only drew desperate people, it stood and delivered. I wonder sometimes if the reason more people don't invite folks to church is because we have lost confidence that God can stand and deliver. I wonder sometimes if the reason we don't invite people who are in need of a miracle to church is because we have lost faith that we still serve a miracle working God. I wonder. I'll tell you one thing. The early church, it drew desperate people. And it stood and it delivered The Bible describes this having a good reputation. They enjoyed the good will of all of the people. There are two Greek words. The New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek. And so what we have is translated. But there's two Greek words translated good that I'd like to kind of put in front of us here. The first Greek word means something is wholesome or healthy. So let me use it in a sentence. Spinach is good for you. Right? Wholesome. And healthy. The second word, kalos, denotes that something is wholesome and healthy, but it also tastes good and looks good. It's more than just good for you, it's winsome and attractive. Now, when I was a kid, spinach grew in cans. <laughs> Every Saturday morning, Popeye the Sailor Man would open the can using his pipe as a blowtorch. He would suck the spinach through his pipe, and suddenly he would have supernatural strength, most of which was generated through his forearms. Every kid in America knew that spinach was good for you. None of us wanted any. It was Agathos. These days, almost every morning, I eat a spinach salad. It's fresh spinach. I put plump blueberries on it, sliced mushrooms, sometimes a thin layer of turkey. I crack some pepper, throw some oregano on it. I splash a little balsamic on top. I dish up a side of yogurt with some fruit in it. I I look forward to it every day. Just look forward to it. It looks good. It's good for me. It tastes good. I figured out a long time ago, you never have to recover from a good start. And it just gives me a great start. I I actually look forward to my healthy breakfast each morning. Kalos, not just good, but attractive, something you want to do. The early church was not just Agathos, it was Kalos. I think there's a lot of Agathos churches today. They, they, They are good, they do good things, they're filled with good people. But nobody outside the congregation wants what's in their can. The early church was wholesome and healthy, but it was also dynamic and effective. It it attracted people. And why wouldn't it? Given the eight characteristics that we are exploring in this Acts 8 series. So let's review. The first week we looked at wonder. Guys, we serve a mighty God. We serve the one true God. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We serve the God who created the cosmos. We serve a God of wonder. 
We serve a God who takes our breath away. Number two, miracles. Miracles. We got something right here called an Ebenezer. In our final song, we're redoing an old hymn that has the word Ebenezer in it. Some of you may have sung that song a lot of your lives and never knew what an Ebenezer was. Ebenezer comes from a Hebrew word, and it means a monument erected to celebrate the power of God. So an Ebenezer is a monument. And so what we have done throughout this series and throughout this year is we have just celebrated the power of God through an Ebenezer. We have asked people who are in need of a miracle in their life to pick up a green stone from one of these bowls. They're up in the top too, but if you need a miracle, let the green stone represent that miracle. If you need several miracles, just get a few stones. But let the stone represent something specific you need God to do in your life. And every time you see the stone, just let it remind you to bring that before the Lord. And when God answers your prayer, I've invited you to bring those stones back during our final song each week. Bring those stones back and place them in the Ebenezer. And when you do, and we see it, we'll all celebrate. And we'll just clap and celebrate with you to the glory of God. In between services, I had two folks hand me stones. This stone is five years old. Five years old. This family has kept this stone. And God answered their prayers. So we're going to pop those in because we serve a miracle working God. <laughs> Fellowship. The church is not a place to attend. We're a community to which you can belong. Generosity is another characteristic of the early church. Those of you that were here last week, on our way out, we did something we call a walkout offering. But the idea, you could also call it a cup of coffee offering. Walkout offerings work this way. We, we just do a handful a year, and they're for a specific mission. We don't get any of it. We just take it all and give it to that mission. And the mission tells us exactly what they are going to do with the money. And there's an immediate need that's immediately turned around. All right? So last week, if you were here, we took up a walkout offering. I told don't. Don't, you don't need to give more than a cup of coffee, but uh, we're going to take a walk-up offering for Right Turn Ministries. Right Turn Ministries, as we speak, is in Honduras. There's a good chance they're watching us uh, via the internet right now, but they're there right now. Their need that they articulated to us, they needed a freezer refrigerator, you know, just a regular refrigerator with a freezer in it, for a feeding station where they feed under-resourced children in Honduras, and they also can share Jesus with those kids. It's part of the draw. And they also said with anything left over, they would buy some Spanish Bibles. I've been to Honduras many times, and when you serve under-resourced families, people can't afford Bibles. And so these are really in high demand. So last week, I asked you on your way out to, you know, put something in if God pinged you, but not too much. And let's just see what God could do with our cup of coffee offering. The first thing I want to tell you is you guys must really buy expensive coffee. Because we receive far more than we anticipated. I just got a note from the right turn people. We'll have some pictures coming out this week. Let me tell you what they were able to get for their feeding station. A brand new refrigerator. A chest freezer. A microwave. And a blender. We have a fully 
fooling. Staff, feeding center, beyond anything we could have imagined. And guess what? In addition to that, they were able to buy 500 Bibles, and they're passing them out right now. (laughs) Praise God. That's what happens. I'm not talking about tithes and offerings and being obedient to the word. I'm talking about just a little generosity. It goes a long way. And number five, worship. The, the, The people worship together. I'm of the conviction that worship's the most important thing a church does. I've been hotly criticized for that throughout my career. People go, no, that's not the most important thing we do. And I say, well, I don't want to disagree with you, but you're wrong. (laughs) When Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And second is love your neighbor as yourself. I have discovered in my life I can't properly love my neighbor until I'm right with God because on our own, other people are going to drive us crazy. It's only through getting right with God that we can properly love everybody. And so worship's the most important thing that we do. So when we worship here, we're just going to worship with our whole hearts. And I invite you to worship as God leads you, but we're a worshiping community. Number six was communion. Communion is more than just the, the bread and the wine Communion is an invitation into a life that we collectively share in Christ. We enter into this life. We celebrate this life in Christ. You know, you get a church doing that stuff, no wonder people flock to it. No wonder people flocked to it. So today we're going to explore a seventh characteristic, a good reputation. It says they enjoyed the goodwill of the people. People flocked to Jesus. He was John the Baptist plus miracles. I mean, think about it. Jesus is John the Baptist plus miracles. He's a man of good reputation. John 6 takes us to the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' healing ministry is in full force. And make no mistake, healing is what drew the crowds to Jesus. It's what drew them. Crowds of sick, possessed, and desperate people followed Jesus everywhere he went for a chance to get their lives back. People no one else could help, Jesus would help. People that others rejected, Jesus embraced. Jesus healed people. And then he said, go and sin no more. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two fish. It says the people were so pleased they were gonna make him their king by force. And then Jesus, who would of course have none of it, just slipped away. There are biblical accounts where Jesus just slips away. And he goes off into the hills alone. Verse 16, that evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. We take instant contact and knowing someone's location for granted these days. In fact, I would argue we've given up significant personal liberty for the privilege. And not only that, but it's kind of given us something new to worry about. I tell people this all the time. When I was a kid, we would leave in the summer the house after breakfast, and our parents had no idea where we were. And you said, well, you were behaved and close. It was nothing like that. (laughs) They had no idea where we were these days. If I call Melissa and she doesn't answer, I get a little nervous 
If I call 15 minutes later, I get a little more nervous. If I call an hour later and still can't get her, I get really nervous. But that's okay. I can always track her on Find My Phone. It's sort of like George Orwell covering a sting song, singing, I'll be watching you. Well, life is nothing like that in first century Israel. Jesus slips away from the crowd. Nobody knows where he is. So you have to have plans made. I remember when I was, uh, you know, older elementary school, early high school, junior high, that era, we would go shopping, like to the mall or somewhere. And we would get separated that was fairly regular and then mom and dad would say hey we're all going to meet back at the big fountain at one o'clock right so if we got separated we'd all kind of have a place to meet well Jesus and his disciples had the same kind of thing so if Jesus was speaking somewhere that was quite a ways from their headquarters in Capernaum and if Jesus slipped away got separated for any reason the disciples were to wait at him wait for him at the seashore and then if he didn't show up, they were to go ahead and sail on back to Capernaum and Jesus would get there one way or the other. It's just how it worked. So Jesus didn't show up, sun's going down, boat sails without him. It's no big deal until it was. Verse 18, soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, do not be afraid, for I am here. That's all comes from John chapter 6. Do not be afraid, for I am here. Now, if I've learned anything in my life, it is that storms hit. When I was young, I used to think storms were the variables in life. So if you could make it through a storm, you'd be okay for a while. I've learned that storms are the constants. How we respond to storms is the variable. There's always going to be storms. And some of them you see coming, and some of them you don't. According to the geographical references in the passage, and there's quite a few of them, the disciples would have had the mountains to their back. They would have been heading across the lake toward Capernaum. And the way weather works in Israel, and particularly in Galilee, the, the storm would have been coming at them. The problem is it's getting dark, and the skies would have been lightning and thunder. It's coming at them hard. So the first thing they're going to do is take their sail down because it's pushing you in the wrong direction. And then they're going to get the oars and they're just going to have to fight the waves and try to get in. But there is a problem. There's a major storm upon them. You know, it's kind of weird when you go outside today. It kind of looks like April. But do you realize that just last week we sort of had a blizzard? I mean, I had six inches of snow out at my cabin. It just so happened that when it hit, I was off and I had two of my grandsons with me. And six inches of snow. I cannot tell you how much fun we had. We got the sleds and found a hill. We traipsed through the woods. And right in the worst of it, I got the four-wheelers out. And we went four-wheeler riding in the snow. But as we rode, the snow was coming down so hard. Visibility was almost nothing. The snow just stuck to us. I mean, all three of us, we looked like like a, a National Geographic special on Yellowstone when all the buffalo were in a circle during a blizzard. We all looked like that. We were all wearing snow. But the worst part was that when you rode, the, the snow was driving into my eyes. And it just felt like little shards of glass. It was just really rough. The disciples are rowing this boat. The, the wind is coming at them. I mean, this is a bad situation. It scared experienced fishermen 
commercial fishermen. Scared them. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they look up. And above the storm, they hear Jesus say, don't be afraid. I am here. One thing I noticed, how many of you uh, grew up in athletics? Raise your hand. How many of you grew up basketball players? You ever notice as a basketball player, no matter how full the gym was and how loud they were, you could still hear your coach? It's amazing. Your ears tuned. What we need to learn to do is get our ears tuned to God. We need to get our ears tuned to the voice of Christ. The disciples' ears were tuned above the waves, above the wind, above the thunder above them. They heard the voice of Jesus in the worst of storms. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. I am here. Say that with me. Don't be afraid. I am here. Let's do it again. Don't be afraid. I am here. Some of you are in storms right now. Some of you are over your head. Some of you have no idea what to do. Everything is completely beyond your control. And I want you to listen with your heart this morning and hear Jesus say, don't be afraid. I am here. Verse 21, then they were eager to let him in the boat. Oh, I bet they were. And immediately they arrived at their destination. Did you catch this? They were eager to let him in the boat. He gets in the boat and immediately they arrive at their destination. There's a miracle that happens here. It's not that Jesus calms the storm. He doesn't. Jesus just gets them to their destination instantly. You see, this is a period in Jesus' life and happens even more so between the resurrection and the ascension when there is a rip or at least a distortion between whatever it is that separates the natural from the supernatural. Miracle is becoming a way of life. The extraordinary was ordinary. And in this case, a boat is instantly transported from a perilous lake to the safety of the shore. I can imagine the disciples just trying to get their bearings, saying we were just about to capsize and now we are docked. What in the world happened? And the answer is Jesus happened. Say that with me. Jesus happened. The miracle is not that he calmed the seas. Is that the boat and its inhabitants were instantly and supernaturally transported from danger to safety. To a boat in the storm without Jesus. To a boat safe in the dock with Jesus. This is a miracle. Suspending laws of distance and time and space. And there's really more of this than you think in the Bible. Verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore, saw the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized that Jesus had not gone with them. People followed Jesus wherever he went, and Jesus traveled constantly. So sometimes they would find themselves a long way from home. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not that big. I've been on the sea a gazillion times. You, no matter where you are, you can see the shoreline all around you. It's big, but it's not, it's not like a sea. It's actually a lake. And so... The disciples are out there. They are preaching, teaching, surrounding Jesus. And the crowds are just waiting to hear where Jesus is. And they just go 
where he goes. They're, they're Jesus chasers. I've reached a point in my life where I would have to say I am a Jesus chaser. You see, I decided a few years ago that I was not going to spend the remaining time I have in ministry on this earth propping up institutional religion. was not going to spend my time doing that. I wanted to be caught up in a movement of the Holy Spirit. These were people who could not find the power to live their lives effectively. And they knew that Jesus was the answer to whatever they had going on. And they chased Jesus no matter where he went. And all of a sudden, Jesus is gone. The disciples' boat is gone. And the crowds are still on this side of the lake. A lot of them would have been from the other side of the lake. The other thing you got to remember is the people probably took shelter the best they could. But most of them would have camped outdoors. And it rained all night. So these folks would be cold, and they'd be hungry, not in the best of all situations. But the question is, where's Jesus? Verse 23 and 4, several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. So they basically sent out taxis from Tiberias and people who could afford them. Probably took the boat across, took the ferry across the lake. Everybody else is going to have to walk around the long way. But what you need to understand is despite the fact these folks are greatly inconvenienced, they're going to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus because he's the only one who can give them their lives back. And so they go. Jesus didn't go to the people here. The people came to him. It's not lost on me that the church is specifically commissioned in Scripture to be the physical presence, the hands and feet of Christ, until Christ's return. And I would like to suggest that if we were doing that credibly, that people would be flocking to Christ's church. We wouldn't have to worry about whether or not people could find a parking place. They'd park six miles away and walk. It wouldn't matter if the room was too cold or too warm or if the music was too soft or too loud. None of that wouldn't matter at all. If we were being the church that Jesus empowered us to be, people would be flocking in to this house. What is our role in this dynamic? To be a contributing part of a church that is offering hope. Brimming with hope, celebrating hope, and then to invite others in to that hope, to invite people to receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord, to invite people into this Christian community. That is our part. And I am convinced if we do our part, God always wants to do his part. And that's what these invitations are about. Just asking people, are you looking for hope? There's hope in Christ. Are you looking for a community? We've got a Christian community here. We're not perfect. I tell people all the time, we're not a perfect church. I'm the pastor. We're shot before we even started. But we do love Jesus. And we are on journey together. And if you'd like a community, if you'd like people, if you'd like a tribe, we'd love to be that for you. 
I believe nothing should be more ordinary in the life of the spirit-filled church than the extraordinary. People who had no hope flocked to Jesus. People who needed a miracle flocked to Jesus. People who had nowhere else to turn flocked to Jesus. May I ask one last question before I close? When did the church cease to become a place where the sick are healed and where the lost find salvation and the hopeless find hopes and the addict is delivered? When did we stop being that? I'm here in this series to remind us of who we are, of whose we are, and of the unbelievable power that has been invested in us as the church of Jesus Christ. We need to remember who we are and who Jesus is. We need to be reminded there is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is deliverance in the name of Jesus. There is forgiveness in the name of Jesus. There is restoration in the name of Jesus. There is salvation in the name of Jesus. We carry good news. And who doesn't want to share good news? Jesus gives people their lives back. At Christ Church, we pray for miracles. We have the faith to believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We see miracles and we celebrate miracles. How do we do it? One stone at a time. We are not a charity among charities. We are not a good cause among good causes. We are not a humanitarian enterprise among humanitarian enterprises. We are the red hot popping, spirit-filled, physical presence of Jesus Christ in the world, and we are open for business. So we're going to close today in celebration. We're just going to close in celebration and participation. You ever wonder what drew the crowds? How did people know? Well, it wasn't because they did a drip campaign on Facebook. I'll tell you that. It wasn't because they got a big billboard. It wasn't because they had TV ads. You want to know how word got out? Jesus gave one person their life back. And they told everybody they knew. And then Jesus gave somebody else their life back. And they told everybody they knew. And Jesus did a miracle. And the people told everybody they knew. And he fed 5,000 and people told everybody I knew. And he said to a storm, peace be still. And people told everyone they knew. And he said to another storm, he said, we're in the dock now, boys. And people told everyone they knew. Jesus did incredible things for people and people shared the good news. And I think it's got to start with us. Some of you may need a miracle in your life right now. What I'm going to ask you to do is focus on the one thing that you most need from God right now, the one miracle you most need in your life. And I'd like for you to sum it up into one single word. It might be health, finances, addiction, divorce, estrangement, death. I don't know what your word is. But whatever that miracle is that you need from God. We're going to have some folks up front. And if you're in the balcony, come on, come on down. But 
I'm going to have some folks up front. And I would like for you to just articulate in one word the miracle you need from God. And they're going to give you a green stone. And they're going to pray for you. And when God answers that prayer, does that miracle in your life, on a Sunday morning, I'm going to ask you to come up to the Ebenezer and to drop that stone in. And if we see you, we're all going to clap. And we're going to give praise to God, who's still in the miracle working business. So I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come up. Think about the one thing, one word that you need from God. I'm going to invite you to come up during our final song. Get prayed for, get a stone. And if anybody has had God do a miracle in your life, we would like to invite you to come during this final song and just drop a stone in the Ebenezer. And we're going to celebrate. There should be nothing more ordinary in the Spirit-filled church circa 2024 than the extraordinary. God's done great things here. God's done great things here. God is doing great things here. But I get most excited when I think about all the incredible things God still has to do in your life and in mine and in this Christian community. Would you pray with me? Great and mighty God, thank you that you are still in the miracle working business. Do what only you can in the lives of your people and we will shout it from the housetops. In Jesus' strong name, amen. Would you stand as we worship together?